Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. And an interception, and you're not down by 10 anymore. Andre Howe, his second interception. To get you the information that you need is to you start your own business and do your own thing. And I felt like it gave me a good perspective. I was not the first person to go through what I went through. But after, like you said, your, your, your fourth year, you know, injury, riddle season, kind of starting some negotiation of the contracts and, you know, then I'm telling you not, they weren't going to sound you. So tell me a little bit about the, 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 the free agent process. How was that for you? You know, maybe talking to different teams or whatever. How, how did that work out for you? Man, that was the most frustrating year, my fourth year. Uh, because I just knew I was going to get, I was trying to get, I was trying to get a LeBron Robinson type contract, around 30, 30-ish million. Trying to get a half of the guarantee. Um, at that point in time, I knew Julio's gonna get like 50, 60. You know, those, those guys are gonna get tons of money. I'm like, well, let, let me get half of that. I'm about half as good as them. Let me get, let me, <laughs> I'll take half of 60. <laughs> um, so in my mind, I'm like, let's do it. And they were like, nah, let's go a little less. And I think they offered a, a deal around 16, 17 million, and I turned it down. And I'm like, looking back now, I'm like, the heck I wish I would have took that. <laughs> I was betting on myself. Right. Like, I'm like, nah, I, I'm betting on myself. I believe, I know I can play. Um, I think that was my best year by far, my second year. My third year, I missed three games with a sports hernia injury. I, my stats went down a little bit. And then my fourth year, they went down a lot because of the soft tissue stuff. So it was just frustrating. Like, I know I can play, but I can't prove it. I know I can play, but stuff keeps happening out of my control. I know I can play, but... Oh, so it was just frustrating. So going into free agency, and actually Jacksonville did it the right way, I feel like. Um, at the end of the season, they brought me in. They said, hey, we love you. We love what you did for the city. We love you here. I mean, I was there four years. That's like being in college for four years. It's like being in high school for four years. They brought me in. I knew everybody in the organization. They drafted me. Um, even though it was so, you know, so much transition, they, they just showed love. And I'll never forget Gus Bradley and Dave Caldwell sitting me down like, hey, we're rooting for you. We want the best for you, but we, we don't feel like it's the best fit here um, for you. And they told me why. I didn't argue with my. I totally understood <laughs> from from a business standpoint. Like, you can't you can't give a guy money that keeps getting injured. And I, I I totally understand that. You know what I mean? But I just appreciate them sitting down face to face. Like, hey, that's like man to man conversation. I'm like, I'll always have love in my heart for you guys just for simply doing that. Um, and I go in free agency, and at first I'm hearing, yeah. You're gonna you're gonna sign a deal probably around seven eight million dollars a year. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Let's, let's leave Jacksonville then. Let's let's go on somewhere. But as time goes on, we start hearing less and less and less. And as they as teams gather more information and more details about you, and you'd be surprised. No, y'all won't be surprised. But the people listening may be surprised how much detail they go into to not pay you. Yeah, we're gonna find every way to not pay you. So. Seattle was very interested at one point, and they uh, they were like, "We love Cecil, but we we can only give him a one year deal because he was on the injury list seventy some percent of the time, 2014." I'm like, "How the heck you didn't even know that?" <laughs> they were like, "Oh, you were on the injury." I'm like, "Well, I played most of the games that year. That's, that can't be seventy percent, but the, your name was on the list." Like, they go into detail, right, to figure out ways. Of course, they want you. But they want you for as low as they can get you. Yeah. Uh, 
So I had a few teams looking at me. And that point, I was just frustrated. I'm like, man, I got to go somewhere to give me some stability. Like, give me, you know, for me, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, what do I want in a team? You know, number one, I'm like, I want some a winning culture. I want some stability in the front office somewhere I ain't got to worry about. They're going to be doing all this different. You know, they get fired. They're getting fired. I want some stability at quarterback. I want to play with a good team. I want an opportunity to, to be a, a on the field and playing as, as a receiver. So Indianapolis, Seattle, and Houston is what it came down to. And Houston was the only team that gave me an opportunity to get a multi-year deal, um, which was um, a blessing in itself. I, I appreciate them. Um, but I was almost on the way to Indianapolis. Cause I'm like, who doesn't want to play with Andrew Luck? <laughs> you know what I mean? Or who doesn't want to play with Russell Wilson? You know what I mean? I'm like, who? I'm like, ah, but just it came down for me. At that point in time, I'm married. I think I had two kids at the time. And it's like, yo, I need some type of stability. You know what I mean? I want to make sure that they're okay. If I never play again, they got they got to be okay. So Houston gave me a contract that was more more stable than the other two, which was one year deals. So uh I decided to go with them. Tough tough probably one of the toughest decisions i ever have to make because again like you want to bet on yourself so i'm like if i go to annapolis and they had ty and that was pretty much it at that point in time i'm like i go there and be number two number three just catch you know from andrew luck who they throw a lot i can make some money but at the same time it's like i just bet myself the year before and it didn't work out you see what i'm saying so it's like i didn't want to leave money on the table again so for me it was just like oh what do i do so i ended up signing with houston and um I'm thankful for it. I'm thankful for it. But that, that's a tough process, man. Like trying to figure out where do you want to go, what's best for you, what's best for the team, or best, I mean the team, best for my family, was, you know, just what's best for all situations, right? And you want to go somewhere that, for me, I want to go the opposite. I won like maybe 11 games in my four years in Jacksonville. Some 12 tough years games. in Jacksonville. Some tough years there, man. So I'm like, I got to go somewhere I can win. Go somewhere, get an opportunity to, to play with a winner, you know, possibly get in the playoffs and get on the Super Bowl team and, and make some noise. And Houston um, end, end up being a choice. So, so you decided to sign, sign a two-year deal with the Texans. What lesson, what lesson did you learn about money on your, your rookie deal that made you do things differently when you signed this deal? <laughs> um, my rookie year, I learned that everybody is not a millionaire in the NFL. Yeah. <laughs> um, you make good money. Don't get it twisted. But it's not, you know, what I made my rookie year, Dave Garrard probably made in one check. Mm-hmm. And Jones Drew probably got in one check. You know what I mean? And the way they live isn't the way that I, I can live. And I think a lot of guys get it twisted. Like, you know, this is what's going to last. You know, I, I, I'm going to be here for a long time. Now nah, you don't know. I think Jeff, you said it. you don't know how long you're gonna play. You don't know how long you're gonna last. You don't. You don't know. Yes, you you think you are, but this this is not high school. You're not guaranteed to be on this team next year. You're not guaranteed to to be on the roster next year. It's not college. Like um, it, it's just it's different. So for me, my rookie year, I learned that very quickly. And then so when I got a little bit of money, I got in Houston. I'm like, babe, we gonna hold on to this. We <laughs> we we gonna be you know as smart as we can about it. I don't need to live like everybody else is living. I don't need to live like J.J. Watt's living, 
right? Because he got a hundred mil. I don't. I don't need to live like you know Jonathan Joseph was playing a long time. Um, I, I don't. You know, I got to be live within my means and be smart within my means. And it's tough for a young guy, 20, 21, 22, 23 years old, to realize that when you're striving for this your whole life, mm-hmm. and it comes, you're trying to get all the chains, all the jewelry, all the shoes, all everything. And it's like, yo, I look back on my time, I'm like, I wasted a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I bought stuff I didn't need. I bought stuff I don't even have today. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm, I certainly did a lot of that stuff. Um, but even even then, when I signed, I'm like, okay, I got to be smarter than I was my first year, second year, third year. And I tell you what, though, it was different in Houston because Houston's a, it's a different culture here. Like in Jacksonville, you ain't see too many guys pull up in super nice cars. Where you might see Brian Cushion pull up and just, he might just drive the Corvette to the game on Sunday, and then on Monday he might drive something else. Kareem coming his all white, whatever he got, you know, what I mean? <laughs> like it's, 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 so it's a different mindset. Right. Mm-hmm. And when you're in that room with them, Andre, you know, this, you might feel pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, Dang, I'm making good money. I can, I probably can't afford it, but you know, should I do it? Should I not? It's just so many thoughts. And for me, I'm like, I'm glad I had that time in Jacksonville to realize, okay. So when something different came in Houston, I'm like, okay, I'm okay where I'm at. You know, I'm okay if not, you know, spending everything and doing all that. And if you got it, sure, it's no problem. But young guys, they got to learn early. And I don't think, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't think we're taught that enough. No. I don't think guys, and you'll and you have guys, like older players come in from the NFLPA and they'll talk to you about saving money or they'll talk to you about doing this. We don't have that enough. I don't, and it's hard for guys in their 20s that's making $500,000 a year, a million dollars a year to hear it. But when the average NFL player is going broke after three years, when the average NFL lifespan is what, three and a half years, if that, mm-hmm. we need to be producing, we're like promoting this every single day yes. to the younger guys, right? Maybe not the older guys that understand, that got the contracts, maybe not the, if them are second deals, they probably get it for the most part, right? But there's nothing wrong with hearing it again. There should be financial discipline. There should be financial classes, in my opinion, at least monthly, probably every two weeks, just for a reminder for these guys, hey, you're not getting paid. Most guys aren't getting paid outside the 16 weeks. Unless you're Aaron Rodgers and J.J. Watt and got the big scholarship, I mean, the the big sponsors, you're not getting paid like you are during the season outside those playoff, outside the regular season. So we're trying to – we make a lot of money in this short time and you're trying to make it last for a long time. That's You have to learn that. And a guy coming in that's 20 years old, fresh out of college that had nothing, they don't know. Mm-hmm. And they build habits that is that are hard to break. And maybe I'm, you know, speaking for myself, but I think that needs – that's something that needs to happen ASAP. These guys got to learn. It should be somebody in there. It probably should be a financial guy just specifically on each team. Hey, how you doing with your finance? Not, not, not in your business. They don't got your bank account information. But if you have questions, right. you know what I mean? If you have issues going on, hey, so-and-so's asked me for, you know, my dad asked me for $5,000. You know, what, what, what should I do? Um, like, you know, just that a guy should be there because that financial discipline and, and integrity and, Learning how to take care of that stuff is so important. Right. 
So I'm sorry, I'm on a little speed there. No, no, that's perfect because that's what we talk about. And Dre talk of Dre, Dre make his points about how he had to adjust and his experience, and he can speak on that if he if he so chooses. But it's that's the purpose of our podcast because I see and I work with all the rookies as they came in year in and year out, and I will see guys, even undrafted guys, trying to you know keep up with a Kareem and a J. Joe. You know what I mean? Keep up with those guys, and it's just you know you try to you know you will want to try to encourage them after I had been around for a little while to say look. You know, there's ways that you can, you know, leverage, you know, your position as a professional player and not pay nothing. There's guys get uh, cars from dealerships for free to drive during the season. You know what I mean? Like, you can save that money. You know what I mean? So it's just like that's it's so important that they have this. It's so many guys that don't even understand taxes. Right. Yeah. They don't they have no clue. Like what? Why are they taking all this money out of my check? I thought I was supposed, so agents are not even doing a good job or, you know, and, and it, it, I think it need to go back. It need to start even before they enter the NFL. I think it needs to be something mandatory on the college level where guys can get a better understanding so that they know when they walk into this thing, what it looked like tax wise, what it looked like if you're taking money up front from your agent that you got to pay back once you. So it's just so many of those different dynamics that I think um, needs to take place, man, because it's, 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 it's ultimately hurting these guys. No, for sure. And even even going further than that, high school, middle school, learn how to budget. Mm-hmm. Like, there should be classes on budgeting. There should be classes on taxes. What does tax mean? Like, what does tax mean? How much is being taken out? What bracket are you? It, it's just so much that goes into it that we're not taught. And that, to be honest, at a certain age, guys ain't trying to hear it because they got this money coming in right now. Mm-hmm. So if you don't teach them early on, it's going to be hard as heck to teach them later especially if they're not open to it. You know what I mean? An older guy may be like, yes, let me hear what's going on. But how are you going to tell a first-round pick that's 20 years old what to do? You know what I mean? It's just it's so much that goes – so we got to – I agree. We got we to gotta start early, man, before they get in the league, before it should, it should be classes. It should be – at least in college, man, it should be classes on going on, like, hey, this is what's going to happen. This is how you should handle your money and this and go from there. Absolutely, I agree. So, um, so, so, so things uh, again. You get to the text, you sign, you go with them. But uh, things didn't go as you know as planned. So, um, you know, after training camp, they decided to uh, release you. Did that catch you by surprise? Tell me a little bit about just kind of kind of that whole situation. Listen here. So, twenty fifteen. Um, when I played, I played decent. I played well, but I was injured, right? I had soft tissue stuff going on again. Frustrating. 2016, I thought I had the, my best training camp. Now, I knew they were going to draft the receiver. That's this part of the game, right? You're going to normally gosh out receivers every year, to be honest. A lot of people don't know that. They just normally gosh out receivers every year. It depends what, what and DBs, too, because you can never have enough receivers and DBs. And once they drafted Will for the first round, I'm like, cool. I probably expected that, boom, whatever. I'm still confident in myself. Boom, boom, boom. Then they drafted Braxton Miller. So my agent called me like, what the heck going on? I'm like, I don't know. You should know what's going on. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. Um, but it's crazy because in my head, I'm like, Braxton will fit perfect in the type of offense they want to run. Like, he would fit ideally in here. And then he gets drafted. I'm like, I should be a scout. But anyways, um, <laughs> so when that happened, I'm like, okay, cool. So it's, it's hop. And it's, it's Fuller, it's Braxton Miller, it's myself, it's Keith Mumphrey, it's Jalen Strongly drafting the third round um, a year or two ago. And it's a few other guys on the, on the, on the totem pole. So we're, we're going through OTAs and minicamp. And this is my second year in the offense. Now, not too many times I've been – had had a second year in that exact same offense. So I was so confident in knowing, like knowing where I had to be, how to run the route, going here, going there. 
Um, but as things start going on in OTAs and mini camps and even early training camp, I'm like, okay, I see, I see how it's going. You know, Fuller going to be the start. His first round pick, he going to play, he going to start. They want Braxton to be the slot, and that's where I was at. So day one in training camp, I started in the slot. Day two, the receiver coach come up to me, Sean Ryan's actually, I think, the offensive coordinator. He's somewhere in Detroit right now. He's somewhere in the league doing well. He came to me like, hey. Um, and he was totally honest with me the whole time. That's why I love Sean. He was like, listen, they want Braxton to get these reps. They want Braxton to be the slot. Can you help him, please? I said, no doubt about it. I'm like, I got you. I mean, I can't play this game forever. I got you. Rewind. During early OTAs, minicamp, the GM at the time was Rick Smith. He calls me to the office. They asked me to take a, a pay cut. I'm like, a pay cut? I ain't getting that much in the first place. What you, <laughs> why y'all want to cut from me? I'm like, whatever. And they're like, listen, this, you know, we'll give you more. And, you know, pay cuts, they'll give you, they'll, they'll work the money around. So they may give you more up front, less during the year, but you, you'll get your money some type of way. So I'm like, I ain't really tripping. All right, cool. I'm supposed to make a certain amount. They gave me some sum up front. I'm like, whatever. But he basically told me, hey, don't worry about it. We, we want you on this team. You're going to make the team. Came from his mouth. So I'm like, cool. I go out there, I perform, I know my role now. They want Braxton to be the guy, they want Will Fuller to be the guy, they got D-Hop, that's the top three. Jalen, Mumphrey, those guys, I need to help everybody I can, and then whenever I get in, just make plays when they come. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm good. I'll, I'll take a meal a year or whatever whatever it was to, you know, be, a, be another coach on the field. I'm, I'm fine with that, just play my role. I go out there, have a good training camp, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Long story short, Cuts were made. I don't remember. Cuts were made. We played Dallas. After Dallas, we came in. They made some cuts. Boom. Sean Ryan told me I was good. I go to Columbus, Ohio. I'm a best man in a wedding. I go to Columbus, Ohio. At the wedding, I get cut. <laughs> so I'm not expecting, like, all right, cool. I'm not expecting to be, you know, now, at this point, I know how to be a professional, right? So I know how to prepare each and every week. I know what I'm doing, so I'm always prepared and ready to go uh, for, for the games and stuff. But I'm not expecting to be a, uh, a full-time starter. So I know my role. I'm good. I'm in Columbus. I'm at the wedding. My agent called me. I'm not my agent. The uh, Texans called me, and they said, hey, I'm sorry. We decided to go a different direction this year at receiver. And I'm like, y'all got to be kidding me right now. Y'all got to be kidding me. I ain't took a pay cut. I ain't did this and that. But that's just, that's part of the business, right? That's that's part of the business. So I'm in Columbus, and I'm like, yo, I just got cut. I'm about to do a wedding. I had a speech like 10 minutes later. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like yo. So I go there and do my speech, and then the rest of the night, I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to land or whatever, end up in Tampa Bay. But I was not expecting to get cut, no. No, I don't, I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I I was expecting to be the number two, number three. No, I wasn't that. I was I was expecting to make the team though. Right. I thought I was good enough to make the team. To be honest, that that was just where my head was. And I remember hearing that, right? Like I said, my my first year. But I'm in the I'm in the the the, the I'm in the rooms. I'm hearing these talks. So I can remember hearing that, and I'm like, you know, it took me by surprise. And I was like, you know, again, you know, again, I mentioned the impression you made on me, and then seeing you work, you know, again, I, I, I'm. You know, I played the position so I can see, you know, I'm not a, you know, I'm not, a, you know, whatever. I'm not making decisions. But when I saw that 
and I knew the the sacrifices you made, you know, to see that come around. That was for me when I realized that this business was on a whole nother level. Yeah. That, that, you know, and it's unfortunate because we've had guys come on that have that have that have said, This guy told me you're good, we're gonna take care of you. Yeah. And in the same breath or you know, things didn't happen that way. So I definitely want people to hear that and to know that, like, man, you know, I, you know, you, you hear guys say, I'm going to make the best decision for me, right? Like, the, you know, and I want to encourage guys because, you know, just to be aware of that. Now, some guys say, you, you, they may say you, you selfish or you're thinking about yourself. But when you look at these, these decisions that some of these teams make after guys are thinking about the team, it don't necessarily work in their favor. So I just want, you know, I want that to be known that that's how this thing could be. Now, I think it's tough for the average fan to realize that, right? Because to the average fan, it's like, yo, the minimum salary is like, say, four fifty. They'll be fine. They, they're just selfish. They're trying to get – no. But in the world that we live in, you got to think about where being in our shoes, right, where the owners are billionaires. They're getting a profit no matter what. Right. They're making billions of dollars no matter what, right? So – in our in our circle, it's like, yo, yeah, you gotta get as much money as possible. You gotta be selfish at times. You simply got to. I've never been mad at a guy for holding out. I've held it out one day, <laughs> and he, he felt. And to be honest, at that point in time, he was stepping into that was his first year without Dre, right? So he's stepping into a place where he's unfamiliar. So in 2016, I believe it was that might have been your your first year there, Jeff. Like he was like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hold out. See what? How do you feel about? It? I'm like, you gotta do what you gotta do. You you are deserving of a new contract. We will not hold that against you as players. This is what you deserve. So if you've, and, but they made him feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Oh, you're not putting the team first or you're not doing this or that. And it's like, yo, y'all using this until it's time to get rid of us. Yep. I'm gonna use this up. You're gonna draft somebody else. And like, oh, somebody, somebody told me one time, like you're renting that number. Wow. Like, that number you're renting. And for me, I'm like, it didn't hit me until I saw somebody else who were number 84 in Jacksonville. I wore number 84 for four years in Jacksonville, and I thought that was my number. I go to Houston, I see somebody else, and I'm like, dang. <laughs> That's real. Wow. Like, you know what I mean? Like, you're only there until they don't need you no more. They don't need you. They're moving on. So, for me, and it's hard for the average fan to understand, but just try to think if you were in our shoes, what would you do? How would you handle certain things? You can't just think from where you are. Yep. Right. That, that's, that's, unfair, that's unfair for me to think about your situation and try to make, try to make decisions from where I'm sitting and in in, in being in your shoes. Right. So let's, let's not do the opposite. It's easy to say, oh, outside looking in, it's easy to say you would do this or do that until you're in those shoes. You know what you would do. Absolutely. Okay. <clears throat> so you end up going to Tampa. We had the chance to play with uh, a young Mike Evans. As a player with DeAndre Hopkins, in your opinion, what makes those guys special? <laughs> man, I played with some good receivers, man. Uh, DeAndre was the best by far. Mike Evans was special. DeAndre and Dre, you know, Jeff, you know too, his hands mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> like are this big. So you can have him completely covered. Because he's he not going to be the guy that run by you, right? He's very physical, which I love. I think that's a strength in his game. But he's like they they call it 50-50 balls, right? You throw it up, it's 50-50 chance he's gonna catch it, he's gonna he's not gonna catch it. It's more like 80-20 with hop, more like 70-30 with hop. He's gonna catch everything pretty much. And I think that's what stands out about him. Uh, he just knows how to catch the football in crazy positions. And I think it's unfair that he wears the 4X glove. 
Like it's, it's <laughs> Jerry, you can have the best coverage on him. You can swallow him. He can figure out a way to catch the football. And it might be one handed and you might be upset. And you might be punching the ball and you see holding no food. Like it, it just is what it is. Like he's just that special. Um and he's extremely confident. It's not, it's not a doubt in his mind that when the ball comes his way, he's gonna make the play. I mean, you guys saw it in Dallas a couple years ago when he on in overtime catching the ball, run out the catch, spin, spin, spin. Four, four from three last year against Kansas City early, early in the season. Everybody knows he's getting the ball. He still finds a way to get open and make the tough catch on fourth down. You know what I mean? It just he he continues to make plays over and over and over again. And he's separating himself into the one of the better receivers, in my opinion, probably top two, top three receivers in the league. Um, so for him, it's it's that confidence, it's that, it's that um, of course his hands and his physicality. You try to press him, he's gonna he's gonna slap you in the helmet. A lot of guys remember the fight in Washington uh with D'Angelo Hall or whatever. The reason why he got in an argument with D'Angelo Hall is because the the rep before in one-on-ones, he slapped the dude in the helmet for pressing him. So they they pressed up in coverage. Let me line up real quick. They pressed up. They, he, he's here. He's lined up like this. The DBs in front of him. You know, most DBs, most receivers get here, go left, go right, whatever. He says, <laughs> and runs by him. And he ended up dropping the balls. He was mad he dropped the ball. But D'Angelo Hall, like, hey, if you ever do that to me, we're gonna do it. And he like, yo, I ain't scared of you. I fear God. I don't fear man. <laughs> you know, you know, that's legendary for Hopkins. But he's so physical, man. And he he has an understanding of the game. He understands coverages. He's smart. He understands coverages. You know what I mean? Um, so I think that's what sets him apart. And uh Mike Evans, I was surprised about his route running ability. I was surprised about his speed. Him being six five, you don't think guys that big are able to get at get in and out of routes but he's able to do that at a pretty good level for especially for his size he's able to run by you um he's i think one of the better probably top three top four deep ball go route runners in the league it's a skill to run a go route it's a skill some guys think, oh you just run straight no you gotta get off the line of scrimmage inside or out you gotta stack your guy and be able to catch the ball away from the defender and he does that at a high level. Um, and I think another thing, too, no matter who was a coach in Tampa Bay, they always put him in a position to succeed. Yeah. So he always wasn't put in position. Whatever he did best, they made sure he was, you know, doing those particular routes or those particular plays or whatever, giving those opportunities. Every coach in the league doesn't do that. They try to mold the receiver to what they do rather than letting – letting that receiver do, do do what he does best. So Mike's a special guy, man. He's uh, not talked about enough, in my opinion. Um, I'm excited to see him and Tom. This will be the first time. Now, Jameis can throw the pill now. Jameis can throw the pill. Let me tell you a quick story about Jameis. I got mad at Jameis one time. This, this is random, sorry. <laughs> um, so it's, it's Thursday night football, right? And we got these sweet red uniforms on. And I didn't get there till week, like legit week one. So I got cut from... Texans and I'm in Columbus, Ohio. We end up choosing Tampa. So I go try out for Tampa from Columbus. From Columbus, I fly to Tampa. I try out. All I, all I got is my suit. So I'm in my, my suit or whatever I had on. I try out there and then I stay there for the season. Like that was it. I didn't get a chance to go home or nothing. So I, I get there 
and I'm starting to you know learn everything. And it's it's like a whirlwind, right? Because in my mind, everything is still Texans. How we practice, how we go about things, my routine before practice. And what's crazy is with the Texans, we just hired a uh, a sports science guy. You may remember him, Dre. I forgot his name. Dang on it. But he was helping me so much. I didn't have no soft tissue injuries from the time uh, OTA started all the way through camp. And that's the first year I did. So I was super excited about that year. I get the mm -hmm. template, and they don't do the same stuff. They don't have the same materials, the same resources. So it's a little different. So I'm trying to figure my way out, trying to learn the playbook or whatever. And um, fast forward to like week five, we have a week six, we have a Thursday night game against Atlanta. We getting pounded on. But early in the game, I run an in route. This is like a 12 yard in and I'm running down and I'm waiting for the ball and he's scrambling. So I'm scrambling with him. I'm running, I'm running, I'm running. And the ball comes and it skips to me. And he runs to me after the ball skips. And it's like in my face like this. So on national TV, it looks like he's getting on me. Right. And he's like, see, you gotta come back. You gotta come back for me. I need you to come back to the ball. And he's on my face like that. I'm like, yo, it's not how we go about things. Cause now on TV, it looks like I did something wrong. You skipped the ball to me. <laughs> you threw that terrible ball. You punted it to me. Like, <laughs> ain't nothing for me. You gotta throw a better ball. What's up, Hype family? Thanks again for listening to another episode of What's the Hype Podcast. But if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenerships, so you don't even have to have a big audience. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Um, so we had that discussion, which is a random, it's, it's random, but it just, it shows like, for a quarterback, the maturity level that you have to have at an early on, I think I got him like year three, year four, and he's different now, yeah. right? But early on, some things he would do is just very immature, and you can't act that way and expect guys to gravitate to you when you're doing stuff like that and when you're eating W. When you're eating W, is this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that, that's the thing, even with Jameis, man, I mean – you know, uh, a talent for sure, right? A talent, oh, sure, but it just absolutely. it was always the other things that kind of limited his uh, his ability to really show. So I think, you know, I, I think he's in New Orleans now, so we'll see how he's able to kind of uh, learn behind Breeze a little bit. But he's a talent for sure, a talent for I, sure. I think he can be a starter. I, I really do. It just – and to put it this way, I look at him as a, as a Ryan Fitzpatrick type. He's going to keep you in the game. He might be the perfect backup. Somebody gets hurt, he comes in, he's going to be firing on all centers, keep you in the game, get the guys fired up, ready to go. But at the same time, he may throw five interceptions the same week after he throws five touchdowns. You know what I mean? <laughs> He'll win you the game and lose the game at the same time. But he, he definitely has a talent that, that's, that's outstanding. Absolutely. Eric Corum was the name of the sport. Eric. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we had just – I couldn't think of – yeah. Cool. So, so uh, yeah, so – um. Yeah, as you mentioned, we, we, we obviously talk about what happened. I'll just say this briefly, too. Like, just being at that level to see, you know, what I noticed, too, um, you know, being at that level, like, he, he had no muscles. Like, he wasn't – I mean, I don't know what he did in the weight room, right, from talking about Hopkins. I don't know what he did in the weight room, right? Um, he, you know, he's in there, but it didn't really – it wasn't – that wasn't his game. But 
the, the body control that that guy have, like, I mean, it's, again, it's unbelievable to see that in action day to day in practice and tough. Like, he don't get hurt. Like, the guy is so tough. He's durable. Uh, tough, man. And it just, again, I think, you know, people are, I mean, they're recognizing and seeing stuff now and all that, but that guy, he works hard. He's super tough, super talented. So, um, yeah, I've seen stuff. I don't know how Dre, I don't know how Dre would, would approach him and, and practice. I, I, I don't, Dre, how, how did you? I mean, you know, knowing it, you know, Dre, I was, Dre, Dre was talking junk. Dre, Dre, you know how Dre, <laughs> Dre going all in. <laughs> yeah. I'm going, I'm going at him. Sure. So, so unfortunately, you know, the season ended on, on, on IR in Tampa. When did you start to think about life after football season? So I started to think about life after football when I was in Houston. I was fed up with the politics my second year in Houston. So I, I almost retired. People don't know that I almost retired uh, that training camp in Houston. I was like, yo, I'm doing nothing wrong. I'm having one of my better training camps yet I'm not getting the opportunity. Mm. I'm just not. And I'm like, yo, if I'm healthy, I know I can play, mm. right? If I'm, you know, I knew my assignments. I didn't make mistakes on the field. I'm like, this is my second year in the offense. I'm ready to go. And I'm like, okay. So it took a while for me to be like, okay, let me get in this position where, because remember, I thought I was going to make the team. Mm-hmm. Where I'm, you know, I'm still helping the guys and I'm talking to Will, I'm talking to Braxton, all the other, I'm helping, helping, helping. I'm like, I still want the opportunity. And I'm like, if I'm not going to play, should I even be out here? Should I wait? You know, should I even be wasting my time per se? So I'm like, I'm ready to get out here and start coaching. I'm ready to get out here and, and make an impact in these, you know, and people in high school's lives. I'm ready to go out and do what my dad did. I watched my dad for 20 plus years, wake up at five in the morning, drive across, the, or drive across Cleveland, go pick up four or five guys and bring them to school for morning workouts. But in reality, if he didn't go pick them up, they wouldn't come to school. But in reality, in that time, he got a chance to minister to those kids. He got a chance to be there for them, be that dad figure for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, I just seen what he did. So I'm like, yo, I'm ready to step into my next calling, whatever that is, you know what I mean? So when I got in Tampa, I'll never forget, it was my first start, December 4th, 2016. And I was battling with that throughout the year, right? I got to Tampa, because you know, you get up, I used to get up and excited to go to practice. I used to get up and love going to training camp and competing and going at each other, you know what I mean? And, and running by Dre and doing all this, I'm just playing. <laughs> <laughs> but I used to get up, I used to be excited about competing. When I got in Tampa, I'm like, I started dreading it. And I'm like, this ain't how it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, I'm praying like, yo, I'm gonna finish the year out and I'm like, what should I be doing? What is next for me? So, uh, Long story short, in the middle of the year in Tampa, I started getting some chemistry with uh, Jameis. There was a few games where I had maybe 60 yards here, uh, four or five catches here. I started getting some chemistry with him. So Vincent Jackson got hurt, um, and then I ended up being a starter for December. My first start in Tampa was December 4th, 2016, and it was third down and 12. And I'm on the right side of the field. We're, we're playing in San Diego at the time. There were the Chargers in San Diego. And I run his man coverage, but he was kind of hovering me outside. And I was in tight in the slot. I give him a hard jab outside. He hops. I get back vertical. At the top, I give him a little shake. And I turn to my 15-yard end route. And I'm like, oh, I'm gone. I see the ball coming. I don't feel no safety. I didn't see no safety in my pre-snap read. I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch and I'm, I'm running. 
as soon as I caught the ball, like simultaneously, the the safety came and hits my hits my knee, and I flip over, boom, I fall to the ground. It felt like I hit my funny bone, so it didn't hurt that much. You know, how you hit your funny bone in your elbow, it's like whatever. So I caught the ball, and I'm like, oh snap, that's the first down. I'm like, let's go. So I'm excited, but I try to get up, and I couldn't get up. So I'm like, hey, all right, you know. My leg probably fell asleep or something. I'm like, whatever. So I look up to like wait, like I need help. They already running to me. So they flip me over my back and then they start playing with my knee and they're going all this stuff. And I'm talking to them like I'm talking to you. I'm chilling, right? Because it feels like a funny bone. It don't feel that bad. And they were like, well, uh, I'm like, hey, can y'all stop that? Because it's starting to hurt. They were jacking with my knee, doing whatever. And they're like, well, see, you dislocated your knee. So we're trying to pop it back in. And I'm like, oh, okay. But still, it didn't hit me. I'm thinking, okay, the year before, I dislocated my shoulder in Houston. I missed one game, and I played the next week. I'll, I'll be good. So I might miss one or two games. I'll be good, right? That, that's your mindset as a – you're taught to uh, always push forward. You're, you're a warrior. <laughs> no matter what, you're taught to keep pushing, keep fighting. But I didn't realize that when you dislocate your knee, you tear everything in it most likely. So at that point in time, I had no clue. So they were messing with my knee all the way to the – what they call the little cart, the cart comes on the field. And the doctor said, right before we got you on the cart, I gave one last push because your knee wouldn't pop back in place. And I got it back in place. So they take me in there and they float me back. And at this point in time, I'm fired up. I'm like, I'm yelling at my team. Both teams come. I'm yelling, like, let's go, let's go. Let's win this game. I still got that adrenaline. Like, I'm going. Long story short, I was – uh, uh, two centimeters away or an inch away, I can't remember exactly what it was, from having my leg amputated. Wow. Um, and they didn't tell me this until two years ago because they couldn't tell me at the time because, you know, I, I was in that place. You know, they didn't want to whatever. So they tell my wife everything, my agent everything. They were not telling me. So I'm like a couple centimeters, an inch away from having my leg amputated. At this point in time, I don't know, but I feel so at peace. I'm like, yo, I don't got to get up dreading about practice. Mm. I don't got to get up dreading about something I don't want to do no more. Because if I'm honest, if I'm, I probably never said this out loud, I didn't want to play football no more. I just did it because that's all I did my whole life. And they paid me for it. So that's what I knew. You know what I mean? So when that happened, it's like my whole life changes. So the next three years, I'm in rehab every day. Six surgeries. Mm. Um, I'm stuck in California. Like I heard December 4th, I'm stuck in California all the way to Christmas. So I, at Christmas, I'm able to fly home and they did one of my surgeries, but they had to stage my surgeries. So they had to do like the MCL first and then they had to do, well, they did the MCL, PCL first. And then I, when they did that, I had to keep my legs straight. I couldn't bend it, I couldn't move it at all. Not that I wanted to, but I couldn't move it at all. So I'm sleeping on my agent and his wife's couch. And it's like, I couldn't bathe. I just literally sat there for like three weeks. So they would go, they would take me to rehab and I couldn't, I'm like, why am I rehab? I can't do nothing. <laughs> like, what is, but I'm like, okay, whatever. So I go back to Houston and I'm sitting there and I'm starting this rehab process. And they, okay, now you got to start. I start rehab like in February. So I got hurt in December. I start rehab like in February. But they told me to keep my knee straight this whole time. Now they say bend my knee. I can't bend it. So much scar tissue was around my knee that it, was, it took three people to try to bend my knee and they could not bend my knee. 
and I'm yelling. I'm screaming like a baby. I'm like, yo, I didn't want to play anymore, but I didn't want to end like this. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to go through this. So I had to get a scar, you know, get uh, what they call the scope, scope, get all that scar tissue out. And then I had to go in and do the ACL. And then the scar tissue build right back up. And I had to start all over with my rehab. And then I had to go do all that out and get, get another surgery. Do it again and get another surgery. So it was like six, seven surgeries. And I'm like, yo. So I got, I guess I would stop playing 2017 officially. And it's like, yo, I didn't plan for this to happen. Right? I didn't want to end this way. But to be fair, going into the league, you know you go out the league in three ways. You retire on your own, which very few people get to do. Um, you get cut or you get hurt. Yeah. That's just what it is. Yeah. And even though I didn't want to get out the league that way, like I said, when I got hurt, I was so at peace. I felt, I never felt peace like that before. Because it wasn't a battle of, all right, let's get up to play this week. Oh, let's get up to go out here and, and practice and get us get up here and go out here and do this. Because in my mind, I'm like, okay, I played 10 years. Not that I'm a superstar. I'll just play because I know my role. Right. I knew I could be, you know, I knew my role on special teams, whatever the case may be. I knew I can play 10 years and I get out, I go retire. It just happened to sudden, suddenly like that. Mm. My life changed. So for three years straight, up until this year still, I'm in rehab. I'm training. I'm trying to get this back to 100 um, percent So that was that was for me a, a life-changing moment, not just for me though, for my family. It was it was it was some. Um, I know now is like the popular time for people. I shouldn't say popular, but it is a popular time for people to talk about mental illness and depression and anxiety and all this stuff. But well, that's, that's a real thing. Yeah. And I know for a fact I was depressed at one time. I didn't even realize it. Right. But I was truly depressed at one time, even though I was at peace when I got hurt, going through surgery after surgery after surgery and starting to re every surgery restarting my rehab process. I'm like, F this, yo. I'm like, I don't want to do this. And to the average person, I'll go to them, hey, what's up? What's good, Dre? How you doing? Everything good? I'm good, I'm good. But in, inside, I'm hurting. I'm frustrated. So that's that's definitely a, a real thing, man. And, and it's it it's still a battle for me today, if I'm if I'm honest. It's still a battle for me today just to be okay. Um to be all right, I'm going to be honest here. I don't feel like I lived up to my potential as an NFL player. And outside looking in, it's like, oh, you made it. And I should look at it like this way. Division three player, you made it. You, you see your family set, all this stuff. It's like, yo, you so many accomplishments to, to get to here. You played six years. That's awesome. But in my mind, it's like I didn't live up to what I wanted to live up to. So it's hard to swallow that it's over if that makes sense. When I didn't get a chance to do what I set out to do. Um, so that was a, a, a life-changing experience that I guess I'm still, wow, I'm still uh, going through today. Before Dre kind of go into this next question, I think, and I remember seeing this stat on how high, it's a high percentage of guys, like you said, either one of those three ways when they transition out of the league, that they're dealing with depression in a major way, right? Because it's a lifestyle change, right? There's no... There's no um, no safety net to fall to catch guys when you're coming out of league. You go from literally this to a whole nother adjustment if you aren't prepared for it. So I think, in my opinion, that definitely needs to be some type of adjusting or some type of system 
to help guys with that transition. So whether it be having, uh, you know, people to talk to in place over the next year or two just to help with, again, making that adjustment, like, it's real. Like, that's a real thing. So, I mean, I, I again, you know, like you said, you may not have even known it, and a lot of guys don't know it. They just know that they're in a dark place. Yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. I think – and you know what, too, like – and, Dre, you know this. NFL PA guys come in all the time and talk to us about numerous different topics, like topics all the time about what – as far as preparing – for life after ball and all this stuff, right? But it's so hard to be able to listen to that when you have to focus on the task at hand. True. So mm-hmm. I hear it, and I'm not listening. Mm-hmm. They tell it to me, but I'm not listening. And I'm looking dead at them. I'm, I might even take a few notes, but I'm not listening. Because as soon as that's over, I'm worried about my recovery and how can I get back on this field and be ready for Sunday. Yep. You know what I mean? I'm worried about, okay, let me hop in these normal tech booths. Let me look at these plays. Let me watch this film on my iPad. All right, hop in this cold tub. Let me get this massage. I got a massage. Oh, I got to run. I got to get a massage. I got to eat. It's so much that goes into it. When you're done playing, you should be assigned. It should be a person assigned to you for about at least a year. Yeah. Just to help you make sure you're, you're okay mentally. You're okay physically. It's benefits that I didn't know I, I could have until a later date. You know what I mean? When you when you're done playing, it's it's so much that goes into it. Like, and you're and I'll be honest, they tell you these things. I'm not gonna say they don't tell you. They tell you these things, but it's just hard to listen when you're in the moment. And I don't know what more they can do. I mean, to be honest, if you assign a guy, I think I mentioned assigning a a, a person to like say I retired, they assign a person to me to make sure check up on me, help me with my benefits, help me with everything, whatever. Boom, they, they're my resource, right? But how many guys are going to take advantage? How many guys are really going to stick to it? You know what I mean? So it has to be, it has to be some give on both sides. I think that there's going to be more from the NFL side. And then as a player, we got to be able to – we got to accept it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. <clears throat> Somebody said you got to start the other stick. A lot of different injuries. And – uh. How do you view your career and how, and what kept you motivated? Well, I think, man, listen, I think I answered that. I don't, to this day, I don't view my, view my career as probably I should. Just, just being honest, man. It's, it's frustrating, especially when you taste a lot of success, right? So 2012, I was 21 yards away from 1,000. Like, that, 1,000 yards is like a, a big deal for receivers and running backs, right? That is a big deal. And I'm like, yo, I can do this. Oh, I can play. It's over with now. And to never get close to that again, it's, it hurts, man. It, 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 eats, it eats away at me because I know what type of player I could have been. I know what type of player that I, that I, I, I could have put out there. And um, things I couldn't control, maybe I could control. I don't, I don't know why I kept getting soft tissue. Man. I thought I was doing the right thing. I did my best, right? And at the end of the day, that's that's like I look. At. I did I did my best to achieve that. I did my best to be out there. So my dad tells me all the time, like you got to be, you got to be grateful for the opportunity that you had. You got to really like just sit back and just just look at what all you've been through. Look at everything you accomplished during that time. Yeah, it might not have been the perfect career, but who's perfect? Whose career is perfect? Whose life is perfect? 
so that that's a battle I got, man. Um, what motivated me? I just want to be the best I could be. I just wanted to be. The, I was so determined, especially early on. Like I would, I would, I would do what other people wouldn't do. In, in college, in college, it was a it was an obsession for me. Once Pierre got drafted, I, I went into this mode where it was like, all right, I'm next. It, it, it's my time. So I would literally be sometimes running routes by myself with no quarterbacks to throw to me, no receivers running run routes with me. So it's nine o'clock at night. I'm running routes by myself. It's six o'clock in the morning before I go to work. I'm running routes by myself. I'm lifting. I'm running. I'm doing everything that they wouldn't do. Because I knew to get looked at, I had to dominate, right? I had to dominate. I couldn't be, if, and this is no offense to nobody, right? But if, if someone, I got a Ohio State shirt on. The seventh receiver at Ohio State that didn't play that much would get looked at before me because he's at Ohio State. So he may get drafted. And I won't because I think I went to a Division three school. So I knew I had to work harder than anybody I knew. I had to work harder than anybody I saw, anybody I didn't see. So in my mind, it's like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work harder than you every single day. You might be better than me. You might be faster. You might catch better. You might run routes. But you're not going to outwork me. I guarantee you won't outwork me. And that was my mindset early on. Like, it's, I had to do that. And it, it kind of carried me through and you know, why it lasted six years is just having that mindset of kind of like a Mamba mentality, right? That that Kobe Bryant, that that Michael Jordan mindset, like if you look at if and this this is my honest opinion, if you look at the the greats in every sport, whether it's Tom Brady, whether it's is Michael Jordan or LeBron or whoever you want to pick, they're obsessed with what they do to the point where they're willing to to do anything to get there. Anything. Jordan would make up stories. Y'all watch The Last Dance. He would make up stuff to make sure he would stay on top of his game. He did whatever he had to do. LeBron spends legit, like we wonder why LeBron's never hurt. He spends millions and millions and millions of dollars on his body to make sure he's able to play every. He's obsessed with getting better. Tom Brady, we all know he's obsessed. <laughs> like to the, he's obsessed. He's 40,000 years old, still playing. He's obsessed with it. That's the mindset that I, you know, I think a lot of guys, especially nowadays, it's different. It's different now. I'm not talking, I'm talking like high school guys. I'm in that realm now. It's different now. Everybody kind of feels entitled. When you got to go out there, and you got to work. Man. Like, what makes you different than that hundred thousand kids that want the same thing you want? How are you gonna separate yourself from 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 him? You see what I'm saying? So that that was the mindset I had early on. I got I gotta go get. I, I got to grind. I know I know I wasn't the best. And y'all y'all probably got people in y'all neighborhood that probably were legends. And you, I know people in my neighborhood that were way better than me. But they didn't make they didn't get the same opportunity I got for whatever the reason. But I know I'm, I got to put the work in. I got to. So that just that is what motivated me, I guess. Absolutely. So as we wrap this up, see, so we'll just have these wrap, finish with these two questions and kind of time in. Um, one is just kind of tell us a little bit about what, what you're doing now, what this next phase look like. And then, you know, even with most of what you said now, just maybe a younger individual that may be dealing with not living up to expectations, kind of, you know, just some, some, you know, insights or some motivation or something to just kind of tell him, you know, uh, to keep him going or, you know, some, some insight you'll share with. Uh, so now um, I'm a high school football coach out here in Houston. So I'm at Second Baptist High School, private school over there in, in the in the city. Um, I'm finishing up my degree. Um, 
this education degree. So next year will be the goal for me to get into schools. Um, but my ultimate goal is to be an athletic director and a head football coach, right? I think the, the years from 14 to 18 are critical for boys and girls. And if you can be a positive influence and teach them right from wrong and, and get in their lives at this age, you can help them be successful later on in whatever they do. Don't, don't got to be sports, right? But whatever, whatever they can do. A lot of guys I've come across um, still like, I, I can't, I, I'm, I'm so thankful for my high school coach. I'm so thankful for this or, you know, wherever they were instilled in them in high school or it's one particular coach that stands out. I want to be that. I watched my dad do it for years. Um, and then athletic director, not only can I make an impact on the boys, I can do the same thing with the boys. You know what I mean? Some of the girls' sports aren't any, as important as the football team or the basketball team, whereas you can make an impact in their lives and give them the resource they need to, to succeed just as much as the boys. You know what I mean? So for me, it's just about giving back. Uh, and what better way to do it, in my opinion, um, then be an athletic director and a head coach. So that's that's my new journey, my new task for myself. Um, I'm looking forward to it, uh, but it's it's going to be good. I think it's going it's going to be it's going to be interesting um, because kids are different now than they were when we were younger. Um, but that's that's going to continue to be the case as time moves on. People are going to be different, right? But how can you reach them? So you gotta, you know, adjust to the times, not lose yourself, but adjust to the times and reach them where they are. And hopefully you can do that from there. What advice would I give to a kid that felt like um, they didn't live up to expectations? Wow, that's a good question. Um, that's a good question. I think for, for one, remember we had a, a 24 hour rule trade. You remember that after a win, you get 24 hours to celebrate after loss, you get 24 hours to celebrate or you know, come on and whatever, and you move on. Mm -hmm. When you don't live up to expectations, I kind of feel like we should have the same thought, right? Because it wasn't like we forgot about what happened in that loss, but we learned lessons from that loss, why we didn't meet the expectation of winning, and then we did, we worked for the next game and tried to improve that and win the next game. So for the app, for the athletes, for the people, whoever's watching this, that's like they haven't put their expectation, whatever it may be, learn from that. Don't give up, don't quit. But the lessons you learn from that, okay, cool. Learn from that and then let's move on to the next thing and see if we can accomplish that. Um, so I think I think that's huge. I think this and going back, just putting that work in, man. Like you're not entitled to anything. Nobody owes you anything. Like you gotta go out there and work and, and go after it. If you really want something, I feel like you gotta put the work in. And maybe it's people say like, oh, I, I get it from the mud. You know, that's like the that's like the cool thing to say. But no, I really got it from the mud. Like I, 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 that, that's what I really did. So when people say that, I'm like, nah, man, you out here driving a Porsche, you 15 years old. Like you <laughs> and that and that and that got nothing to do with it, but it's like you really gotta put the work in to be great. If you want something. Put the time and the effort into it. That's simple. Um, so for me, I guess it's those two things. Learn from your mistakes or why you failed, really study it, and then move on to the next task and try to you know, be better then, and then just put the work in, man. For me, my faith is always in, in the forefront. 
I try to make sure I'm putting God and everything I'm doing, speak first the kingdom, and then everything will be handed to you. So I, I, I try to, uh, I do, I'm not perfect at all, but I try to make him the force on everything I do. So if those, those three things were the advice I would give to, to young people. Absolutely, man. I appreciate it. Dre, you got anything else for Cecil? Man, thank you, bro. Uh, I really, you know, I, 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 always, I always respect you. Like, when I play with you, I, I always respect you, bro. You always been a great guy, and I really appreciate you for coming, coming on the show. I appreciate y'all, man. This is a lot of fun. I'm sorry for the kids running around. I got seven. It's hard to contain, man. It's hard to contain. Listen, <laughs> no, I seven. <laughs> so we definitely appreciate you being able to get on and get this done, man. I, it went a little bit longer than what we expected, but oh well. We got some great information, so we uh, we appreciate it, man. Definitely much success to you, man. We'll be definitely paying close attention. We know that you have nothing but uh, you know success coming and bright. Your, your future is bright, so man, we appreciate you for jumping on. That's another episode of What's the Hype. Thanks for listening to another episode of What's the Hype podcast. Remember to like, subscribe, and comment. Follow us on all platforms at What's the Hype Podcast. I've been grinding all my life, all my life, been grinding all my life. Sacrifice, hustle, pay the price. Want a slice, got to roll the dice, that's why. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.